You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In this week's program, Father Paul highlights the way in which the original Hebrew terminology of Genesis creates an important and recurring connection to Genesis chapter 1. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Okay, let me go to those passages from Genesis 1 where we hear about the seeds. And God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind upon the earth, and it was so. Verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. In 29, interestingly, and God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed. But listen to the original, Zorea Zera. It's like seeding seed, which is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, that's the English, the original Hebrew, Zorea. Zera again, seeding seed, you shall have them for food. Okay, so when you hear the original that Abel is in you, seed, you cannot miss the parallelism. You are retrojected back into chapter one. And sometimes Scripture is relentless. This chapter 1 is brought into the picture again at the beginning of the Toledot of Adam. And if you add this comment, you remember the comment I made that the Toledot of Adam is presented as a book. It is as though book 2 actually recollects book 1. So that gives me a good reason to consider that chapters 1 through 4 are in their way also a shorter abstract, if you like, of the entire scriptures. And then it is developed in 5 to 11 so that the totality of 1 through 11 is really very impressive. Since nothing, in my view, and you heard me say this time and again, Nothing is happenstance in a tight-knit literature as scripture is. One can think of two reasons for this oddity, which is Yahweh all the way, then Elohim just once before another mention of Yahweh. Since it is Yahweh Elohim and not simply Elohim that promised the woman's new seed that would overcome the seed of the tempter. Yahweh Elohim said to the serpent, because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. She shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel in 3, 14, 15. It is understandable that Yahweh would be brought into the picture of a passage speaking expressly of that new seed, as I commented earlier. Remember, the seed is mentioned in verse 25 of chapter 4, in conjunction with Elohim, okay? Who is the main person dealing with the seeds? But because Yahweh Elohim speaks about the seed of the woman, that shall bruise the head of the serpent, then this prophecy, as I trust in my book, is already realized. You don't have to wait until Jesus Christ, already realized in Seth in this chapter. But who spoke about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent? It is Yahweh Elohim. So, these two verses, and I spoke plentifully of them, that are the ending of the Toledot of the heavens and the earth, are really genial, ingenious, just out of this world, impressive, how they bring everything together while eliminating completely chapter 4, which is Cain and Abel. Try to do it yourself. You need, I believe, 56 pages to do that. Well, the author here did it in two verses. But to whom? To one who has biblical Hebrew ears. And you don't have a long memory because he said them just a couple of chapters before. <laughs> but you know how theology is. And even... The president of St. Vladimir's seminary, Father Chad Harvey, said, Father Paul, have you ever read the Orthodox Study Bible, this footnote about uh, Adam and Eve and Seth? That is taken from fathers of the church, that we have here another image of the Trinity. I mean, that becomes really excruciatingly painful. It becomes really ridiculous. Because you're excited and you put a footnote and everybody starts quoting you, but you're not hearing what the text is really forcing upon you to realize the novelty here that is taking place. And I spoke plentifully in my book about the last two verses of chapter 4 and the first verses of chapter 5. It's perhaps the most genial part of Scripture. My reading finds corroboration later at the end of chapter 5, which is controlled by Elohim. Five instances in verses 1, 22, and 24. Twice in 1, once in 22, and twice in 24. The last two verses are the one connected with Enoch, if you recall. And the first one is with God creating Adam. And here, in the passage 
we hear when Lamech had lived, so this is after the five mentions of Elohim, one at the beginning and one towards the end in verses 22-24. So please remember, write down these things. Don't listen to them. Take notes and go back and check on them. So after 22-24, we are close to 28 and 29, where we hear, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he became the father of his son and called him Noah, saying, Out of the ground which Yahweh has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands. Which refers to the curse issued by Yahweh Elohim in Genesis 3, verse 17, immediately after the preceding mention of the seed of the woman and seed of the serpent. Okay, let's go back to that. We have 14, the curse the serpent, this is Genesis 3, verse 14, the curse of the serpent, 15, the enmity between the two seeds. Now, in verse 17, which is almost immediately after that, we hear, and to Adam he said, and the he is Yahweh Elohim, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So at the end of chapter 5, in conjunction with Noah, we have again a reminder of those passages. For me, it is unbelievable. Out of the ground, which Yahweh has cursed. Notice, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the toll of our hands. The technicality in the matter is, I believe, unmatchable. But then, you have to hear it beginning with the English, obviously. In other words, you have to know your Bible almost by heart. Remember what I said. The greatest thing would be to know the Bible by heart in English, better yet in Latin, better yet in Greek, and better yet in scriptural Hebrew. You have to know it in sequence. Remember, the by heart is very important. And I would like to mention what happened in your church. Remember when the little children recited Galatians chapter 1 by heart. They did not jump from verse 1 to verse 15, then back to 8, then back to 13. You don't do that. And if they have this sequence in their mind or on the face of their heart, as we say in Arabic, no. then... You cannot 
not link the statements literarily the way they appeared. Which theology feels that it is free of that? We have the freedom of the sons of God to play with God's words. Exactly as the serpent did. I'm bad news, but I can afford to be bad news at 77 with all my sins behind me. However, still, there is, I'm convinced, another reason for specifically the phrase call upon the name of Yahweh, which I discussed in detail in my book. The phrase is typically a reference to the true worship as both commanded and described in the books of the law, Exodus through Deuteronomy, and which is linked to, as I just indicated earlier, in conjunction with Yahweh Elohim's command in Genesis 2, 16, 17. It is related to Yahweh. So we find in Genesis chapter 1 through 4 already a, to plagiarize Tom Clancy, a clear and present pointer to the Mosaic law, which will be presented as a law to be abided by, also by the nations. Isaiah 40 and 49, remember the mission of the servant and then the Apostle Paul, but already in Joshua. Joshua is the first book after the law, and early there already. In chapter 8, we hear, and there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written, and all Israel sojourner as well as homeborn with their elders and officers and judges stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses the servant of Yahweh had commanded at the first that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law the blessing and the curse according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones because usually the assembly of Israel is the adult males and the women and the little ones and the sojourners Gerim the strangers who lived among them. Joshua 8, 35 Notice here the parallelism between Moses as Ibed Yahweh, right, Moses the servant of the Lord, and the Isaianic messenger as Ibed Yahweh in Isaiah 42 and 49. I mean, these things cannot possibly be happenstance. One more time. In order to understand 1 through 11, you have to be patient and get through the Bible. And at the end, if you are able to understand 1 through 11, the way I'm asking you to understand them, uh, then you don't need the Bible anymore. I have no problem with that. But to get there, because after understanding the Bible, which is a command, ultimately, you have to live it.
It's not that I love in my car to listen all the time to the Bible. Well, I love to listen to tone five of Byzantine music. I like it better, but neither helps. What helps is to produce the fruits of righteousness. Remember, the fruits come from the seeds that are planted. And here again, that famous parable, the sower went out to sow, to plant seeds. Here, Greek is very interesting because you have this interconnection between zara and zera, planting and the seed and so on. And in Greek, you have spiro and sperma. So sometimes it works. I'm not saying that scriptural Hebrew is the top language. That's not what I'm saying. It is the original language. That's why to settle an issue, you have to go to the original. Okay? Because you can use the word plant if you want. But then you're moving away from sow the seed. It doesn't ring the same bell. And I quote you a text from Genesis earlier where twice, not only regarding the vegetation, but also the trees, where you have this funny expression, Zorea Zera, seeding seed. It's phenomenal. But in English, it sounds better to say yielding. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.